Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rancho on AM 770 KTTH. We are streaming on the KTTH smartphone app. The Fifth Avenue Theater would love for you to attend one of their upcoming shows, but if you're white, there's a little bit of a catch, and that is what's trending. What's trending? Everything is racist. So Seattle's Fifth Avenue Theater is hoping that white patrons do not attend some performances in the upcoming season. And it's all a way to promote inclusion. Though they can't legally deny anyone entry to one of their shows on the basis of race, they are doing what they can, it would appear, to try to dissuade White people from attending. To me, it should be enough to dissuade us from ever, ever, ever going to Fifth Avenue Theater again. And I understand that they've got their defenses and we'll get through it. But just on the surface, any kind of gimmick like the one I'm about to disclose to you is too much. Absolutely too much. They're doing something called the Global Majority Nights. The Global Majority Nights. And according to the website, it's meant to bring black communities, indigenous communities, and communities of color to experience our shows together, free from white people. I like how they, black communities, indigenous communities, and communities of color. Are they all not communities of color? Black, indigenous, and communities of color. I kind of felt like communities of color counted black and quote-unquote indigenous Huh. And I point that out because I'm going to assume they likely don't want Asians or Latinos to attend because they're kind of othered in this case. Right. They're sort of uh, lumped together as a group. And they explicitly invite black and Native Americans to attend. Huh. Now, Fifth Avenue Theater Management said that this is a way essentially to atone for their past racism, which... I struggle to not laugh at their inability to recognize the irony of that statement, of their position. Because they say, effectively, we want to be more inclusive by excluding groups on the basis of skin color. In fact, under this gimmick, black and Native American theatergoers, or at least those who self-identify, they get a promo code, a discount code. Because I guess Fifth Avenue Theater doesn't think they can otherwise afford tickets. It is their version of an affirmative action bake sale. And just pulling from their website, it said, The Fifth Avenue Theater recognizes that our global majority community members have historically been met with elitism and exclusion in our theater. We have to change. We are asking... What belonging truly means to us and how we can best be of service to the abundant vibrancy of Seattle. As one initiative, we hope these evenings of theater will be ones where self-identifying members of the community can come together to enjoy storytelling and engage with the performances. Now, global majority, I've used that term a few times here. That is a term that references the fact that the majority of the global population is not white. That's where that term comes from. I've never heard of it. I had to Google it. Now, they haven't figured out that 
in this context, their racist embrace means that they view white people as the minority, suggesting that they're the ones who are being oppressed. So, bam, all of a sudden, the Fifth Avenue theater management, they're the actual oppressors. Now, we've done stories over the last couple years, three years, about how companies embrace this sort of woke capitalism. Some of them believe it. Some of them do it because their employees demand it. Others do it because it earns them some social currency. But for the most part, over the course of the last several months, really this year, I would even argue, we've seen fewer and fewer and fewer companies choosing to embrace the woke capitalism. Some of them are just completely staying away now. Others walk some stuff back. We've certainly heard less from companies about their woke agenda. There have been some obvious examples that don't fall into that category. I'm looking at you, Bud Light. But for the most part, we really haven't seen this much anymore. And yet this is an instance in which the Fifth Avenue Theater is just leaning in, and I think they're going to pay a price for this. There is an unhealthy obsession with race that it appears they suffer from. And we know that people, not just locally, of course, but nationwide, they suffer from. That's all they can see is identity. They judge everyone by an identity. You're black, you're transgender, whatever it happens to be, that's all that they see. Now, of course, what they don't do in this piece is explain how their theater excluded anyone in the past. Now, I don't know if I even buy this idea of elitism specifically towards black people. I certainly believe there's elitism in the theater. Okay, okay, I'll I'll go with you on that. But specifically elitism towards black people and Native American. Oh, okay. Can you give me an example? They don't. They don't give examples. They speak in these sort of nebulous ways. And I think in their up, they had to update their website after this uh, story started to get attention or this issue started to get attention. And I think they said something along the lines of they don't always feel welcome. Speaking of black theater goers. Okay, why? Is it something you're doing at the Fifth Avenue Theater or in theaters in general? Every once in a while we hear people say, well, that's a white thing. Okay, what makes theater white? I, I, I don't quite understand if that's a perception that you believe exists within the black community or if you're doing something to get black people to think like that. I honestly don't know the answer to that. But atoning for past sins that don't exist, which I suspect is the issue here, that earns you some good press, or at least that's what they were hoping to get, some social currency. But to me, this is actually kind of simple. The best way to be more inclusive is to be more inclusive, which means not pushing people away on the basis of skin color. And and it's so odd the way that just societally things have shifted. We, We talked a lot about this, actually. I think it was yesterday where you had before the BLM movement, before all the activism that came along with it and really took hold in this country. Judging people on the basis of their skin color was seen as racist, and rightly so. And yet now, at least from the lens of a radical progressive, they think that they're somehow enlightened because that's all that they see. Because when they say they see color 
it's meant in the context of we see white supremacy culture holding people down. And we're now enlightened to that fact. And we're going to try to do something about it. They make it all up. And it's, of course, not enlightened. It's not evolved. It's just racist and silly and divisive. It's just divisive. And this is all insulting, not just to white people, but I would argue to black people as well. You have an all-white executive team over at the Fifth Avenue Theater that appears to view blacks and Native Americans as too fragile to be around white people in the audience of a play. That the mere sight of someone who happens to be white or even just light-skinned might trigger them and cause some sort of trauma. Why would you hold that view? It's condescending. Seriously, it's condescending. And frankly, if there's someone out there who is black and is triggered by someone who is white or someone who is white who is triggered by someone who is black, that's on you. You're a racist. You are a racist. This is not controversial in the least. But all we get here is this condescending tone, these condescending implications. And ironically, the only people who might be interested in a stunt like this are white progressives who hate themselves and listen to NPR all day. Those are the only ones, the only ones who might find this appealing. Or I guess Naomi Ishisaka, the Seattle Times columnist who pushes racial injustice lens into or angles into every single thing she touches. The worst columnist. Now, the good news to me at least, is that not every black person or Native American person hates white people, at least not as much as the staff seems to. Now, I reached out to them for a comment. I didn't get anything back until about a couple hours ago, and I had noticed that they changed their website. They updated their website, and they their update was essentially trying to further defend what it is they were doing, downplay some of the sloppy language that they used. They basically compared this kind of event to it's it's no different than inviting uh, high schoolers down to the play or, or seniors at the senior center. No, there's a little bit of a difference. There's a little bit of a difference. They say, we're not trying to exclude anyone. Anyone can show up. Yeah, it's true. Technically, anyone can show up. What's the implication, though? You're specifically saying this is for black community members, for Native American community members, so that they feel welcome. You're very clearly suggesting you don't want white people to attend. Oh, well, it's only one night per production that we're doing this. So someone on Twitter or X, and if I recognize you and I'm annoyed, that means you've annoyed me before and you're just insufferable. And someone who fell into that category said something along the lines of, well, first of all, you're lying. It's only one night. Okay. (laughs) So one night of racism is okay. Let me ask you something. And let's all go through this thought exercise together. I want you to speak out in wherever it is you are and you're listening. I want you to answer this question, including and especially if you're out in public and you've got earphones on. Because that'll be just kind of fun. Do you think that this would be a story outside of this show, outside of KTTH, if the event was we're giving special carve outs for white people? One, don't worry. Hey, relax. It's one time per show, one night per production. 
We're not going to do it every single night, but one night. You know those white people who may not want to be around those blacks and Native Americans and Latinos and Asians. They should feel inclusive or included, right? We want to be inclusive of them. Wouldn't we all call that out immediately? And there's nothing that could be done to defend it. There's no argument that can be provided where we say, okay, fine. It's not that big of a deal. I guess they have a point. No, I'm sorry. You don't have a point. You're either inclusive or you're not. You're either racist or you're not. This is very cut and dry. Are black people allowed to go to every single show? The answer is yes. Should they feel comfortable going to every single show? I presume the answer is yes. Are you doing anything different on this one night for the global majority night to make them feel more comfortable that you're not doing in any other night? If the answer to that is yes, then you're racist then you, outside of that one night, are being racist towards black people or Native Americans or whomever. Why is it that on this one particular night, they would somehow feel more included? Because you're giving out discount codes, specifically to black black people, with the intent of bringing more black people into the theater? Why not work to bring everyone into the theater? There are ways to do this and still get the social currency that you're so desperate for, that you're so thirsty for. Because God forbid we leave some of the wokeness away. Wokeness infects the minds of these folks. And while some people have finally sought treatment and are no longer acting out, we got stuff like this happening. And it's just it's just annoying and it's it's divisive. That's what I suppose makes me the most upset or annoyed, at least that they don't seem to think that this language that is meant to bring people together is doing quite literally the opposite. It is tearing people apart who no longer want to be judged by the color of their skin or their gender identity, that no one deserves extra points or a deduction of points on the basis of some sort of identity. You're either a good person or you're a bad person. You're either a nice person or you're mean. You're either welcome to the theater or you are not. And the Fifth Avenue Theater, with this, sends a message that they're only interested in inviting certain kinds of people on the basis of their skin color to certain evenings, pushing others away. That's what they are signaling. And I find that to be repulsive. And there was a time in which everyone would have found that to be repulsive, with the exception of... Of racists. But this is what progressive politics have done. Flipped it all upside down. Now, if you want to read this story, you can go to KTTH.com or text the keyword rants, R-A-N-T-Z, to 1-800-465-8770. 1-800-465-8770. I'll send you a link to this topic. You're listening to The Jason Rand Show. This hour, by the way, brought to you by American Water Damage Restoration. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Crime. A 24-time convicted felon was arrested in Spokane over the long weekend after police say that he murdered someone. And it appears to be a random stabbing. And the sheriff in the area of Spokane County, his name is John Knowles, He's calling out what he calls a revolving door criminal justice system. Now, the suspect in this is named Stephen White. And he's only 46 years old and he's a 24-time convict. Like, that takes intent. One a year since 22? That's 
called intent. That's like the second you're released from jail, you're committing another criminal act. And this guy's record includes residential burglary, robbery, assault, theft, riot with a deadly weapon. This according to KHQ Television. So they say Spokane PD say White stabbed an innocent man, some 44-year-old named Shan Anderson, Anderson, 14 times. He stabbed him on August 26th, according to the police. And according to the story, they say the detectives were able to get security footage, surveillance footage, that showed White, quote-unquote, clearly with a knife thrusting his arm or hand downward onto the victim, who they say might have actually been sleeping at the time. So they say that this was completely random. Now, it's possible, I guess, that he had some run-in prior, and this is how he's acting out, allegedly which is obviously just as disturbing. But the sheriff ended up speaking with KHQ, and he, he makes a point that we say on the show pretty much daily. This problem with the criminal justice system is far bigger than just a jail. It's far bigger than just our court system. It's far bigger than just what's going on at the state level. It's a culmination of all of this underinvestment that is causing people who are 24 times and 25-time convicted felons to be out on the street to victimize the public again. It's unacceptable. And I, so I disagree in, in just one small point. I'm not sure that it's always a case of lack of resources. Sometimes it is, there's no doubt. And in Spokane, in Spokane County, they've got an issue with jail size. They just don't have enough beds. But I think we all can agree, for those of us who see the problem, that this is really about the state legislature. Systematically, over the last 15 years, the Washington state legislature, through the Sentencing Reform Act, have been reducing standard sentencing ranges for any myriad of crimes, like drug crimes and property crimes, which means they're letting people out of prison. They're letting people out of prison. That is intentional. They're not hiding it. Again, in fairness to the Democrats here, as much as I disagree with what they're doing, at least they're not lying and hiding what it is they're doing. They're doing it out in the open. I think they argue about it disingenuously. I think there are some issues they try to hide and just flat out lie about. But this, they've been pretty open. We're trying to get people out of jail. We're trying to depopulate our prisons. They say they don't think that they work, that they don't change someone's behavior. Now, let me for a moment agree with that. I don't, but let me just go with that for the sake of argument. Putting someone in jail who, like this guy, clearly didn't help, correct? 24 convictions, ignoring this last accusation. 24 times suggests he went to jail and he didn't learn anything. Yeah, yeah I'd agree right? with that. I mean, that's, that's a fair statement. Great. Yeah. Guess what happens when he's in jail? Whether it's one month or one year or 10 years, that means we are safe from him. We are protected from him for one month, one year, or 10 years. Every time he is in jail, incapable of stealing from us, beating us up, stabbing us, whatever it happens to be, means we are safer. We are better off. So that's what jail can do. If you truly do not believe that it changes someone, that it can reform someone, okay, it protects us. My life, your life, the people you know and love, their lives are more important than reforming some guy who poses us a clear and obvious threat. End of story. Or no, excuse me. Full stop. God, I can't stand when people do that.
Who did that yesterday? We did it on the show in the quick hit. I can't even remember what I was talking about. Full stop. By the way, why are you giving me that look? You were here. It was the... Uh, the I gave the you t- a look when I said that. Did, did the, the TikTok lady say it? That was a quick hit yesterday, right? Was that the quick hit? I don't remember. Yeah. I did it so quickly, I don't remember. Full stop. Shut up, full stop. I don't think it was the TikTok. Was it the TikTok lady? That was what we, that's what we did in that segment yesterday. Oh, no, it was Mark Cuban. Oh. Full stop. By the way, the sheriff in Spokane County or uh, says that he supports something called Measure 1. It's going to be on the ballot in November, which is basically a new sales tax that ends up putting the funding into a new jail so they can handle locking people up who need to be locked. But he closed out his statements with KHQ this way. Our rights as law-abiding citizens to be safe and comfortable in our home outweigh the rights for the people who are committing crimes to have comfortable outcomes for them. It's not that we shouldn't be investing in helping people get better, but we can't do it at the expense of the safety of our law-abiding citizens, and that's exactly what's happening in the state of Washington right now. It's exactly what's happening in Spokane County right now. Yeah, it's not just Spokane County. Don't worry. Don't feel like you're being targeted here. It's happening all across Washington State. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. 1-800-465-8770. I'd love to hear from you. You are listening to The Jason Ranch Show. When we come back, a Jason Ranch Show exclusive, a Seattle cop reports himself fearing he's going to be taken out of context to smear cops. Shockingly, it's already being taken out of context to smear cops. We're going to get into that story when we come back. Oh, and don't forget, because I almost forgot. Don't give me that look. Why are you giving me that look? Because you almost forgot. But I didn't. I said almost. Because our friend and local tax expert, Greg Nunn of Nunn Better Tax Resolution, he is growing. And he's looking for tax specialists to hire. So if you're passionate about fighting for taxpayers, you're interested in a job, give Greg Nunn a call at 425-947-1967 or Google N-U-N-N, Nunn Better Tax Resolution. Welcome back to the Jason Rand Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. We have a Jason Rand Show exclusive over at KTTH.com. Some people are not happy that we wrote it. A Seattle police officer ended up turning himself in for a comment that he made when he accidentally turned on his body cam. And it sounded like he was mocking a victim in a fatal crash. And immediately upon realizing that one part of a conversation had just been recorded, he had some fears that the comments would be taken out of context in order to attack the SPD because that has become a sport in the city of Seattle. And those fears likely intensified. Thanks to what has been described to me as a leak of the content of that body cam footage to media members who don't like cops, really don't like cops. Now, this goes back to the January 23rd incident. It was a very big story where an officer was responding to a priority one call. That's an emergency that requires immediate police intervention. 
and he was apparently speeding. And he ends up, this officer on the way to this 911 call, he ends up hitting and killing a pedestrian. This happened in the South Lake Union neighborhood. Big story. Now, after that, Officer Dan Otterer was called in as the drug recognition evaluator. They're called DREs. And the goal in that position is to determine whether or not the driver, in this case an officer, was impaired at the time. And that's standard protocol in circumstances like these. So Otterer goes ahead and does this DRE, this drug recognition evaluation, and he didn't suspect any impairment. So after he was done, he ends up back in his patrol car, going home, presumably, and he calls Seattle Police Officer Guild President Mike Solon. And he called him to explain what happened. You see, Dan Otterer is a vice president or the vice president for Spock. And this obviously has to do with a member of their union who is likely never going to be a police officer again, and he might end up going to jail. And so he makes this phone call, and during this, his body camera inadvertently turned on. Now, it's my understanding that in some newer vehicles, it will automatically turn on based on the actions of the driver, which can include putting on your sirens. So you don't necessarily have to push anything. And it ended up recording his part of the conversation with Mike Solon. Now, when he realized that this conversation had been recorded, he self-reported the comments to the Office of Police Accountability, OPA. He wanted to be upfront about it. Now, I got a hold of the complaint that he submitted to OPA. And he explains that Mike Solon started off by lamenting the fact that this 26-year-old pedestrian had been killed. And he writes in the OPA complaint, during that phone call, Mike Solon stated that some, something to the fact that it was unfortunate that this would turn into lawyers arguing the value of human life. Mike Solon asked me as he was lamenting the loss of life similar to, quote, what crazy argument can a lawyer make in something like this? What crazy thing can they come up with? Now, according to this complaint, Otterer then responded in a way that was intended to mock the lawyers for the city that would basically try to get out of paying what they should be paying in a circumstance like this. So we said in this OPA complaint, I responded with something like, quote, she's 26 years old. What value is there? Who cares? And then he says, I intended the comment as a mockery of lawyers. I was imitating what a lawyer tasked with negotiating the case would be saying and being sarcastic to express that they shouldn't be coming up with crazy arguments to minimize the payment. I laughed at the ridiculousness of how these incidents are litigated and the ridiculousness of how I watch these incidents play out as two parties bargain over a tragedy. Now, according to another complaint that I got my hands on. He also said something along the lines of, yeah, just write a check, $11,000. She was 26 years anyway, six years old anyway. She has limited value. Again, the comment was a continuation of his mockery of the lawyers. Lawyers that would try to say, well, no, we're not going to give you a million dollars. How about $11,000? That was the context. Now, most people, I think, can understand 
that out of context, that sounds awful. Yes? Everyone on the same page? Agreed. Out of context, without any context whatsoever, those comments make it sound like he is mocking the victim in a tragic accident. And once he realized that his comments are now public record because his body cam footage was on or his body cam, body worn video was on, he wrote to the OPA and said, even though that there was no malice whatsoever, I did not intend to be mean or joke about this situation. I do fear that it's going to hurt the relationship between the community and the police if this is taken out of context and used. He, he said, I do understand that if a citizen were to hear it, that they would rightfully believe I was being insensitive to the loss of human life. I also understand that if I heard it, it could diminish the trust in the Seattle Police Department and make all of our jobs more difficult. With all that being said, the comment was not made with malice or a hard heart. It was quite the opposite. And he asked for something called rapid adjudication, which kind of sounds exactly the definition of what it actually is in this case. This is a quick resolution without some sort of lengthy investigation. And he said, look, I will accept any reasonable punishment. I own this. This is on me. I put myself in a bad position, didn't intend to. And there's the context here, but I get it. OPA didn't seem interested in that the Office of Police Accountability, because its director, Gino Betts, didn't just reject this and move forward with a full investigation. He might have some ulterior motives, according to the people that I'm talking to, because two sources for this story tell me that Betts, quote-unquote, leaked the comments that were made or the OPA complaint with the comments that were made to a member of the Community Police Commission, the CPC. This is an independent civilian oversight group that doesn't really like the cops and has been working, it seems, to stop a federal consent decree from being removed from the department. Now, I asked specifically two bets whether or not he spoke about this publicly. He said no. And so I said, okay, can you confirm, because I'm hearing you talk to the CPC. I didn't tell him that part. But I said, are you, just to confirm, you didn't talk with anyone from the CPC about this? And his response to me raised some red flags. His response to me was something along the lines of, I only speak to people who have a direct interest. So like... Dan Otterer, he would talk to. I'm assuming the police chief. I don't know that, but I'm pretty sure that that happens. But that sounded like a semantics game to me. So I asked one more time. And again, I said it along these lines. To clarify, did you talk to anyone from the CPC that you deem to have a direct interest in this investigation? His response to me was, it's not my practice to comment on pending investigation. That's all I can offer at this time. Now, I read that as, yes, he said something to the CPC. He can talk to the CPC. He can speak publicly about this. But the problem is, it would appear that the CPC, and I guess it could have been Betts, but I'm guessing it was the CPC, leaked this information to a Seattle Times reporter and a local blogger. And we know this or suspect this because they both 
specifically asked for this body cam footage. There are hundreds of hours and many people involved in what happened. They asked for this very, 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 very specific body cam footage after the complaint was submitted. That's a little sus. Do the kids still say that? Sus? Kids say that. There you go. It's sus. That means, in adult language, suspicious. Now, I don't know who tipped them. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, in a general sense, with media members being tipped off. I get tipped off to stories all the time. But in this case, it kind of seemed like OPA or the CPC's intent in going to these very specific media members who don't like cops was to smear the SPD and or smear Dan Otterer. And I think their fears that they would be smeared are well-placed. Mike Carter is the reporter at the Seattle Times who loathes police officers. They loathe him. I won't tell you from who, but I got a text from a former sheriff who said, wait, Mike Carter doesn't give honest stories about cops? Consider me shocked. Everyone who's an officer knows who Mike Carter is the same way they know who I am. But they like me because at least I'm fair. But they hate Mike Carter because he's a guy who oftentimes frames stories critically. He's a guy who oftentimes just calls out cops indirectly implied. It's just slanted coverage. We'll talk about this later on in the show, but this is the guy who yesterday published a puff piece defending Tamar Abuzid, who is the King County office of law enforcement oversight director. We talked about him a few months ago with all the, remember all those tweets where he was hating on cops and Jews and my reporting ended up getting pulled into this to this report from Mike Carter. All it was was just saying how amazing this guy is. Oh, it's just a grand old feature story about this radical. So what's next in all of this? Now, the fear, of course, was that judge, uh, the judge in the federal case to whether or not to get the consent decree would be impacted by this. Well, apparently the judge called me out today, something along, at least according to the stranger, called out Jason Rance's story saying he's not familiar with the story, but probably neither is Rance. Uh, I'm very familiar with the story. You're the guy who actually doesn't know what he's talking about in this case. Uh, he released the department from federal from a federal consent decree with the exception of oversight amongst large crowds like protesters because we're supposed to pretend that we didn't have any riots and everyone was perfectly peaceful as they were throwing weapons and, and uh, you know rocks and stuff at cops. That's it. So that's not going to be impacted. That's good news. The bad news is this video will come out. It's going to come out on September 20th or the 21st. And it's going to be taken out of context. I I guarantee you, because I heard some coverage today, which I didn't think was very fair and was kind of taken out of context. It's going to be taken out of context and it's going to be used not just to go after Dan, but to go after the Seattle Police Department. And that means it's on all of us, every single person who's listening right this moment, whether it's live on the radio or on a podcast, whether you live in Seattle or Wenatchee or Spokane, it is on all of us to not just read the story so we know it, but to spread it so other people see it. 
So it makes it more difficult for the bad actors in the media and the activist community to smear this officer and to smear police across the board. Now, you may still, even in context, not like the comments that were made, fair. But at least make it a fair discussion, which I don't think the Seattle Times and this one local blogger is interested in doing. So text the keyword RANTS, R-A-N-T-Z, to one 800 465-8770. I'll send you a link or just go direct to KTTH.com. Welcome back to the Jason Rants show. Just a quick bit of news. It is possible that Seattle just hit homicide number 57 today, which would now match where we were at the end of last year. The SPD just posted a story moments ago that they received a 911 call about a deceased subject found at a home. And when they located this male, there were signs of trauma. So they say that they have determined the man found was involved with the shooting incident that happened yesterday around 10 a.m. There was a 911 call about a shooting, but when the officers arrived, they didn't find any victim of a gunshot wound. And now it sounds like they at least have found the victim, or at least they believe that it's tied to yesterday's shooting. Now, I believe this is number 57. It could be 56. There was some confusion about whether or not one case that they were looking into was, in fact, a homicide. But uh, 56 or 57, that's not good. And it clearly continues to put us on pace to exceed the all-time high of 69 homicides back in 1994. That's where we're headed. And just real quickly... Because, you know, as much as I try to pay attention to everything that's happening in the news, uh, let's just check the Wikipedias or something. Today, was there any press conference from Mayor Bruce Harrell or any Seattle City Council member about the crime crisis and how they have a plan to act? Do not believe there was. Okay. What about from the county? Uh, No. State? No. Okay. Just checking. Every once in a while, I could be surprised pleasantly. I'm like, oh, they're doing their jobs. They don't seem all that interested. And that comes with consequences. For example, remember that dude, Paris Alcantara, who was accused of starting that homeless encampment fire on the I-5 South on-ramp? Yes. The one that was like huge and it almost hit the apartment complex that's nearby that also happens to have a gas line at the area where the fire was out of control. Yeah, big old cloud of smoke. Yeah. So he ended up getting released without bail because we live in Seattle and we have a whole bunch of judges that don't seem to center their decisions around what's good for everybody. So as expected, he was arrested yet again. And this time he's accused of chasing a guy with either an axe or a pipe through a park while yelling, I'm going to bleeping kill you. I wonder what he meant. Hard to say. Right? I mean, that could be, in fairness, I mean, it's all about what's the the vulgarity. 
because they didn't say. It just says vulgarity. I mean, that, that makes could, all the difference. Yeah, that could change our interpretation. I mean, what if it wasn't even vulgarity? What if they're just taking out? I'm going to choose not to kill you, right? I guess that's possible. So just, you know, I want to be fair. Now, Como is reporting that the victim reported to police that the guy had an axe, but when the officers arrived, they found a large metal pipe near Alcantara's tent because he's still homeless. So it's possible that that was just mistaken for an axe, or it's possible that they just didn't find the axe and they found another potential weapon. Now, the police report is amazing because it calls him a, quote, staggering danger to the community. He was arrested less than a week ago and released within 24 hours without bail. He has continued to attack and threaten people. He needs to be held in jail and seen by a judge who will take the risks to the community seriously before more people are hurt and more property is destroyed. Alcantara, he continues, I think it's a he, should absolutely be held in jail for as long as possible. If released, I am certain that more violence will be committed by Alcantara against vulnerable members of our community. That's in the official arrest report. You generally don't get that kind of commentary. In fact, this officer probably got in trouble for putting that commentary in there. I'm glad the officer did, though, because it's important to understand exactly what's going on here. And in fairness to the prosecuting attorney's office, they have been trying to get at least bail placed on this guy. Here's a prosecutor, Julianne, or Julian Haley. This was a um, unprovoked random attack. The state has uh, community danger concerns. He's not likely to obey any court orders, and he's a danger to the community given a discharge and pending charges. Now, this time, he finally did get bail, although, again, ironically, not what was asked. Prosecutor wanted $75,000. The judge set bail at $30,000. That's okay, because that means the guy is, in fact, in jail. He's not going to be able to pay for it. And I don't know if the community bail fund groups are getting him out.